Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today, Bob Ginsberg is joining me. Bob started researching the evidence for survival of consciousness soon after his daughter died in 2002. Devastated by the loss, he needed science to tell him if she still existed in some form. In 2004, Bob and his wife Fran founded Forever Family Foundation, a global not-for-profit that educates the public about evidence that we are more than our physical bodies. Bob hosts the Signs of Life radio show, is past editor of Signs of Life magazine, heads the foundation's medium evaluation certification program, writes a blog at beyondthefivesenses.com, and is the author of The Medium Explosion, a guide to navigating the world of those who claim to communicate with the dead. Bob and the Forever Family Foundation are currently featured in the Netflix series Surviving Death. Welcome, Bob. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you, Amy. Hi, we made it to March. So now you have your March public service announcements. If you have not rated and reviewed the podcast yet, please do so. Also subscribe. You can do that wherever you get your podcasts, Instagram, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere. Also, my course is coming. It is going to begin April 19th. So that will be the first day of the course. If you are not signed up for my newsletter yet or have not put yourself on the wait list for the course, you will not hear much about it. If you are on my newsletter and wait list, you will hear a lot about it. So make sure you do that. Sign up at dramyrobbins.com. Also, please make sure you follow me on Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins and stay tuned for another great month full of amazing podcast episodes. I feel like, I don't know if you guys feel this way, but the content keeps getting better. So hopefully you're enjoying it and here's to springtime. I have this joke that if you come on my show, then you get to also have a Netflix series. Oh, really? So I had to mention that to make sure that people know, come on the show so you can also get your own, you know, Netflix show. Um, So can you start by telling us about the Forever Family Foundation and how it started? I think it's so important for people to know because it's a wonderful resource. Well, it started really out of... uh personal tragedy that, that, that you mentioned. Um, and I'll give you, you know, just a little bit of, of background. Um, my wife, uh, Fran, who sadly passed uh, away um, in September, you know, one day in, in the morning of September 1st, 2002, she woke up about three o'clock in the morning and she sat straight up in bed and she was shaking and she was ashen white and trembling. And I said, what's the matter? What's the matter? And she looked at me and she said, something horrible is going to happen today. Um, And I said, well, what do you you mean? Can you tell me more? And she said, all I could tell you is that it's just utterly devastating. Something's going to happen today. And we, you know, we we, um, did what most parents would do. We had three children and, and we checked on our children throughout the day. And I really didn't believe at that point in my life in anything beyond 
you know, the, the physical senses, you know. However, there were many times in our lives together uh, where Fran would have these visions or intuitive experiences or precognitive episodes, and they always turn out to be true. So even though I was, I was a left-brain thinker, logic told me that if she was right then, she could very well be right now. And, you know, to make a long story short, we checked on each of our three children throughout the day. Uh, my oldest one was getting ready the next day to go back to college. My middle one just started going to Carnegie Mellon University and she had only there a week. And my youngest one, you know, Bailey was working one last day at a part-time job. She was 15 um, before she went back to high school. Uh, and we, we, we went through the day and we let our, I let my guard down at night. We all went out to dinner and I let my daughter and my son drive home in one car and friend and I took the other car. And on the way home, we passed them because there's only one road in and one road out. And they were in a horrible car accident and, and Bailey uh, did not survive her injuries. And my son was airlifted to another hospital with, with brain injuries. Um, and then uh, eventually my son did make a, a remarkable recovery and, and, you know, you're obviously you're in a state of shock for such a long period of time. And then it dawned on me one day, like, how did, how did Fran know? I didn't, I had, mm. I had forgotten all about it. And then it hit me because she knew. Um, and that started me on a quest um, to find out if this is real. Do people, get messages or do they, you know, do they, they have precognitive experiences? And if so, how does that happen? And I started traveling around the United States meeting with all these medical doctors and scientists that studied consciousness, trying to figure it out. Um, at the same time, Fran really didn't need the science part of it. She had, was more of a, 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 she had more spiritual knowledge, you know, than I did, you know, and, and, uh, so we were kind of going our own separate paths. And we went to, um, we finally went to a, um, a group uh, that is, uh, deals with bereaved parents. And I no we noticed that every time we would sit in this group and either Fran or I would bring up the subject of life after death, the moderator would shut us down and say, wait, we don't talk about those things here. Mm -hmm. Our purpose is to uh, give you mechanisms to cope you know, with your grief, but we don't talk about, you know, life after death. And we thought that was odd because the only thing that gave any comfort or hope to, to people that have lost a child is the fact or not fact, but even the possibility or the hope that they still survive. So Fran and I used to, after the meeting was over, we used to stand out in the parking lot freezing um, and talking, having a separate meeting, talking to all these parents about what we have learned and experienced. And then we, we figured, well, th th there must be a need that there really is a need to have an environment, you know, these discussion groups where people can feel free to talk about these subjects without being labeled or judged. And that's how the idea for the foundation started, you know, and then we, and we, we, you know, we started with just those groups and it grew and it grew and it grew. And, you know, now we're, you know, global with well over 10,000 members. And there's a thirst for uh, among the general public. Uh, some people are just uh, curious about their own mortality. You know, some people, a lot of people are bereaved. People come for various reasons, but um, basically that's what we do. We, we, we try to bridge the gap between 
science and spirituality. Sounds like we're on similar journeys. Yeah, I think we are. <laughs> so tell me a little about this medium explosion. I, I love the title of that book because I think that's that's what it's been like in the past, I don't know, I would say five to 10 years. Uh, people have really been coming out and seems like everybody, present company included, calls themselves a medium. Um, and and like, why do you think that is? And what are your thoughts on? Well, you know, I mean, you know, back in the, you know, Victorian era, I mean, the people forget, but there was, um, there were a tremendous number of mediums, you know, that were, uh, that were in practice. Um, and, um, but today, as you, as you alluded to, you know, the, the media, um, you know, we've seen movies with afterlife themes. We have mediums that have gone, have TV shows and written books and become famous. And, um, and in, you know, a lot of, the fact is a lot of people do have intuitive abilities. I mean, it's just, it's just a fact. And sometimes what they do is they confuse these intuitive uh, abilities that are inherent to all of us with the, um, it's sort of like they feel it's a direction that they are called to be a, a, a medium instead of being just a personal communicator. Not everybody is meant to use their their uh, abilities to hang out a shingle and become a medium. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody wanted to be like the TV medium. Everybody wanted to be like this one or going to be like that one. And um, so what's happened, what happened is that there is, and I call it an explosion of, of, of mediums that are everywhere. And some of them, um, are, you know, are, are truly uh, have a gift and can are very evidential and can do what they claim. But my experience through, you know, 17, 18 years of conducting the, the uh, certification program and also the, the hundreds and hundreds of readings that I witnessed, um, in my opinion, you know, somewhere around 85 to 90% of the mediums cannot do what they claim. And I didn't write this book um, as an expose to, to, to come down on mediums. And it doesn't it, come across that way at it's all. It's the opposite. Yeah. I, I wanted to highlight the fact that but, you know, a truly gifted and evidential medium can change your life, you know, and can do tremendous good. But on the other hand, I also wanted to point out that uh, the mediums that cannot do what they claim can have the opposite effect. I mean, if you're if you're on the fence about whether or not your loved one still exists and you're not really sure and you go to a medium and you get a, a terrible reading, you're going to walk out of there um, thinking, oh, this is all a bunch of crap. You know, this is not, you know, real and, and it's, you know, have the opposite effect. So um, the medium explosion explores um, not only kind of the history of mediumship, but, it, you know, I'd like to think of it as a guidebook of, of how mediums operate and how you should, be, you know, behave, um, you know, as a sitter. And, and I go into that. Um, I also mix in some personal experiences. So I thought that was important because all the personal experiences that I've had are kind of backed up by the research, you know, um, with things like, you know, uh, precognition and, and, and dream visitations and after death communications and, and things of that, of that nature. So um, it's it, the book, I, I wanted to prepare uh, 
the general public, you know, uh, to kind of rein in their expectations and focus them on what they should be concentrating on when they're considering or are going to have a, a session with a medium. Well, I'm so glad that I'm having you on to have you as a resource because I have a lot of people who reach out to me who, and I've had mediums on the show, some of whom I've had read, actually, I don't even know if I've had readings with any of the mediums I've had on the show, but it's hard to endorse someone unless you've had a read, a a reading with them, you know, that they're saying they are that. And so what in your mind, what makes a, a good medium? Um, or an accurate medium, I guess, might be the better term. Because I agree with you. And part of why I don't do the work of mediumship is, one, I don't feel like I'm called to it. I think I'm sort of someone similar to you, as you describe in the book, who gets messages. And then I just give them to the people who they're meant for and kind of move on with my life. Um, But that there's so – when people are in such a bereaved state and they're looking for answers, sometimes they're willing to even – like you said, you know, maybe they have a bad reading, but my concern is also that they have a reading that they think is good or valid, but they're just so desperate for connection that they're willing to make anything fit. It's true. And, and you know, and, and a lot of people, they're very um, aware of that. So, you know, the desperation. Uh, I don't know. I was one of those people, you know, sitting in front of a meeting, and I so desperately wanted my, my daughter to come through, you know, in, in, in any way that... Um, you know, I, I would sometimes, um, you know, kind of make things fit that I, sh- that I shouldn't have, you know, because they were very vague and general statements. So, I mean, what makes a good medium is that a medium does not try to um, interject their own conscious interpretation. They simply get information and then they give the information. Let the sitter, the person who's getting the reading, just you know go from there decide if it's meaningful or not meaningful because if if you get and you can relate to this you know as somebody that's intuitive and a medium if you get a piece of information um you might um interpret that and then say to the sitter um you know as an example i mean you let's say you you see a uh, a fire you know your your symbol for a flame so you might say to the to the sitter well uh, was your loved one a fire a fireman? You know, and um, maybe they were, and they they, they weren't, or, or they might say, "Were you ever in a house fire?" But it could be something obscure. If you just said to the to the sitter, "I'm getting my symbol for fire," does that mean anything to you? The sitter will understand if it's meaningful or not. I mean, rather, no, maybe their father was not a fireman, but yet fire is very meaningful to them. So mm-hmm. I think when mediums get into trouble is they try to interpret too much. You know, when they just give the information that, that, that they're getting, you know, fine. And then there's a lot of, especially among inexperienced mediums, they're not, uh, you know, they're not fraudulent and they're not mean spirited and they're not out, you know, to rip you off. They just may be inexperienced. Um, so, you know, they will, um, they'll may, they may repeat uh, the same information um, several times, you know, the, when they get a hit to give the perception that they're giving, you know, more hits. I, you know, incidentally, I've seen world-class mediums work, you know, some of them that are certified with our foundation and, 
when you put we put our mediums in the in a position of being entertainers, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. You know, you see these group events, you know, and 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 people come to see them because you know uh, they're 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 interested. Um, and that's a, that's another thing that I hate. I hate large gatherings because, you know, if you if you're doing a if, um, appearing in a in an arena with five thousand people, everybody going there is is convinced that somehow the bond that they had of love with their deceased person is so strong that their person's going to find a way to get through to come through, and then they go there. They're among thousands of people. And the reality is the medium is going to do five or six readings, you know, and, and, and they're going to go home um, disappointed, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't really see the value. I mean, if you if you want to go because you saw that person on TV and you want to go see a star, that's one thing, as long as you go under that premise. But if you're going to expect a reading, don't go to a large group, you know. I mean, seek out a, a private meeting. Um, and And – I would just to address what you're doing. I mean, I applaud that. I mean, there are many progressive thinking mental health professionals today that integrate these afterlife concepts, you know, into their practice. And and I and I think that's wonderful. And I think that's very helpful. And some of them do um, recommend um, practitioners. The only caution that I have is if you're if you're a professional, make sure that the practitioners you're recommending are truly evidential, you know, mm-hmm. and they could be, um, uh, it's a wonderful therapeutic tool for you as the professional and, and they walk away um, with a, you know, a good reading that can be life-changing, you know, so the combination of, of your expertise plus the, you know, the reading is powerful, you know. Yeah. And I think to your point about going to like a large group or like to me, grief is is really a personal journey. And it's so different for each person who has been touched by the person who was lost. Right. Everybody grieves differently and that it it should be treated and held somewhat sacred, it feels to me. Um, and again, like I took my husband to a large group like that because I wanted him to see the experience of it, not on TV, but really like personally without going one-on-one to someone, you know, just to sort of witness what this experience was like to kind of bring them over to the other side a little bit. Right. So how do you, um, how do you rate your mediums? Because you put mediums through an entire program or a rating scale. Yeah, it's a, it's a long involved uh, process. I mean, it starts with, um, you know, um, kind of a, a, an extensive application. Um, you know, the first thing is that they send us a, um, a, we don't solicit mediums, but you know, when they, when they come to us, we'll send them a series of questions just designed, designed to see if there's any red flags and get a feel for how they work. Uh, and then uh, if those are acceptable, we'll send them a, a, an extensive application that they complete. We have a committee that reviews that. And if it's decided that they should go further, um, then we set up an interview, uh, which is about a 45 minute interview. Um, and that's, you know, scored and we review that again. And then if, and it, if it's voted to go forward, then we invite the medium to participate in a, an evaluation session. And what they do is a series of five readings for five different sitters. And the sitters were all trained by us in how to score, you know, information. And then we have, 
five different um, scoring methods, you know, um, based upon um, the data, which is essentially um, scoring uh, all the pieces of information given by the medium and, and the ones that were accurate. In other words, hits, this mm-hmm. is, or maybes, maybe the sitter is not in a position to, to score it either way. They just, they, they just don't know. Um, and um, then we have certain, uh, for each of the five scoring method, methods, we have a minimum professional, uh, proficiency level. And those that are able to meet the guidelines are, are granted certification, which lasts for four years. Um, and it's not a, it's not a, um, a perfect system, but we found over the, you know, since 2005 that we're doing this, that the mediums that have gained certification um, have gone on to uh, participate in, in mediumship research and have um, uh, a large, uh, you know, following and, and so forth. Having said all that, we set up the medium certification program as a resource for the bereaved. <laughs> And not as a way to grow Instagram followers. Yeah. You know, but, and the the reality is that many of the mediums that we've certified have got, have become famous, you know, so they've, you know, they they have TV shows, they've written books, they do these large venues, you know, they've been in film. So, and then what happens? It's the business side of it. They, they either stop doing readings or they have a three year waiting list or they charge obscene amounts of money. And that kind of defeats the purpose of the whole thing. So, so uh, because you're you're bereaved, you're in horrible grief. You want to go see a medium. You call the medium, and okay, I can get a reading in two thousand and twenty-four, and it's going to cost me, you know, eight hundred dollars. So, um, that doesn't do any good. So the answer to that is we need to. I mean, we're an all volunteer organization, so it's hard, uh, but we're refocusing our resources on gearing up this program so we could evaluate more mediums um, that aren't famous, but are great. And then we could add them to our list and give access to more people. That's that's what we need to do. I love that. It's so purpose-driven. Like really, it feels so intentional to me that you're there to serve people who are bereaved, you know, not make people famous. Yeah. And then, you know, and a lot of people, and you've probably heard it too, and they'll say, well, I, you know, why do mediums, you know, charge money? You know, they're doing, they're working with the bereaved, they're doing kind of spiritual work, but mediums are just like us. They have houses and they have mortgages and they have cars and right. they would, in a perfect world, they would love to work for free, but, um, but, and if they were, you know, wealthy, they probably would, but, you know, they can't, you know, so, um, that doesn't mean that you sh- I think mediums should always be aware of the desperate state that a lot of the sitters are in and, and that they will go anywhere and spend any amount of money for the prospect of talking to their loved one. So I think there's, I know that you're famous and I know that it's supply and demand, but you always have to be aware of the, uh, you know, that uh, of, of the desperation of, of the people who seek your services. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I, what are your thoughts on, so do you work with Winbridge Institute? Don't they do something similar with radio yeah, mediums um, and things like that? Yeah. And matter of, you know, Julie Beischel, you know, with Winbridge is on our board and, 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 uh, and I'm also on their board, you know, and they, the difference is that they conduct form scientific research. <clears throat> 
We don't. Forever Family Foundation promotes research, you know, and, and uh, we educate the people. We're more of, a, of, a, of an outreach, you know, type of organization. We believe that, you know, we want to educate everybody about the evidence that suggests we're more than a physical body. So Winbridge, um, in their certification program, and incidentally, there's a lot of cross some of the mediums on our list are also a lot of them were on their list too but they they conduct their certification using blinded uh sitter protocol uh you know where the um uh there's a proxy sitter that sits in so in in, in place of the actual sitter you know to eliminate the 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 um the, the prospect of the medium reading the sitter's mind, you know, oh, wow. you know so, uh, so, so they're like double, uh, they double do, blind or something. They, they actually do a quintuple blind study, you know, uh, in, in some cases. So, um, yeah, they're, they conduct formal research, which we respect, you know, but, but we, we don't, um, we don't get involved in, we'll do informal, informal just for my own, um, uh, interest, you know, we'll, we'll do informal surveys and studies and things, but nothing that could be published in any peer-reviewed, you know, journal. Mm-hmm. What makes a good sitter? How does someone be, how is someone a good sitter when they're experiencing a reading? Well, a sitter has to, you know, I, when I train the sitters, I tell them, well, you know, the first thing is I tell them, by nature, we're all um, uh, compassionate human beings, and we, we like to see people succeed. Um, and when you, if you see a medium that's floundering, I know it's it, it's human nature to want to help them. But remember, remember your purpose here. You, you know, do you want this medium sitting with a bereaved person? You know, charging a lot of money. You know, I mean. So we tell them to remain uh, focused, to um, give yes and no type answers. You, you know, you must tell the medium if they're right or if they're not right. But, you know, yes, I understand. No, I don't understand. You know, can you tell me more? Um, you know, I've seen, you know, situations where you know, the medium will say, well, I have your, uh, you know, your brother uh, Aaron here. And um, is your brother deceased? And I said, yeah. Uh, the sitter will say yes. And then give Aaron's whole life story. Oh, yes, Aaron Aaron was a musician. He played hockey. He did this and he did whatever. It's not fair to the medium either. That You know, let them give you the information. Isn't that a lot more meaningful than you telling them? I mean, I've seen sitters. That's sit called the a medium. therapy session. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and and I've seen them actually sit, um, and I have to tell them this, they'll sit in front of the medium wearing a, um, a locket with a big picture of their deceased loved one, clearly visible. You know, that's you know, hide that, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you want, want them to bring it through. So we, we teach them um, also the difference between a general piece of information and a very specific piece of information. Uh, now, if, if, I, if, if, if you're giving me a reading and you see my age, my approximate age, and you tell me I have a grandmother in spirit, um, I would have to mark that as as true because I do have a grandmother in spirit, you know. But hell, you know, my grandmother would be a hundred and you know four right. years old. You she know, wasn't so, in spirit; she'd be the oldest living human, right? Right. Now, so <laughs> yeah. So um, you know, so what we do is when we score it, we weight specific evidence more heavily than general truthful statements. So if you're giving me a reading and you say. 
I have your, uh, you're saying to me, I have your mom, uh, Isabel here, and my mo mom's name was Isabel, that should be scored a lot more heavily than saying, you know, I have a mother or a grandmother in spirit, you know, mm -hmm. because it's, it's specific information. Um, so, what you know, about I like can, I have an, an a mother here with that sounds like it starts with an I? Like, is that considered good or is well, that like how does that work? Because I feel depends. like sometimes people are like, is it a, you know, a, a G initial, right? Like I'm getting a G initial. Well, your last name is. Yeah. Yeah. Them. Well, yeah. I mean, and that's that's a good question because what happens sometimes I say, like, I think I mentioned in the book, you know, they play an alphabet game, especially in the group setting. You know, I got an A, I got an E, I got a, you know, I got a U, you know, so when people, somebody's going to relate to it. But bear in mind that a lot of great mediums don't get names very well. So they'll get mm. a communication that sounds like a G sounding name. So they might say, I mean, is, is there a George or a Gus or, a, you know, something and be along those lines. And I don't um, I don't have any problem with that because it's they're trying to, to hone in, you know, and, and if they get the one specific, you know, letter and they start mentioning a couple of names and yours is one of the name. I mean, that's fine. I mean, on the other hand, you know, the, um, there are mediums that will, um, you know, don't go through a million names and a million different letters, you know, <laughs> right. and with a lot of common names. I have a John, I have a Tom, you know, I mean, all of us have somewhere along the line a John or a Tom, so you know. So, right. uh, but um, so yeah, we 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 tell our sitters um, to, um, and it and it's also important for the sitter to let the medium know if, if something's wrong. I've witnessed uh, readings in our certification program, and each reading is only fifteen minutes in duration. So the medium will say, "I have your deceased mom here." And the sitter doesn't acknowledge, you know, that the mom that, that 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 she has a mom that's deceased. And then the medium spends the whole 15 minutes giving information from her deceased mom when her mom is very much alive. You know, so the whole um it's not fair to the medium. If the sitter would have just said, uh, no, that's not I don't understand that, you know, or my mom is still alive, he could have gone back to spirit and 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 done, you know, shift shifted courses. So um, it's important. It's always important to let them uh, to to give the medium information about if they're on the right track or what's you know they need to know whether what they gave you. Nothing wrong with telling them that it's not true. So, uh, but you have to let them know one way or another. Mm -hmm. It's different than volunteering information. And the medium should not be interviewing you and asking you questions. You know, they should be giving you information. So it isn't wrong if they say, you know, I I have your deceased mother here, and you're like, well, my mom's alive. Like, is that a, a point against them that they, like, what are they then, or do they go back and say, oh, well, it might be a grandmother, and then you're sort of like, eh, well. Yeah, well, that, that yeah, right. Then you're, then you're like, well, you just said it was my mom. Now it's my grandma. Like, yeah, well, that well, that happens a lot, you know, actually, because they'll say I have, and they'll always qualify it. So they'll say I have uh, your mom here in spirit. Does that make sense to you? Now, if if your mom is still alive, um, you would mark that as a miss. It's a clear miss because they're saying that your mom is deceased and she's not. But when you say uh, no to the medium, then the medium say, well, that's the way I see things. It's a mother figure. So that could be mom, aunt, guardian, you know, uh, uh, friend, friend, teacher. You know, so, yeah. So to me, 
that's a little sketchy because it seems like you're making you're making an excuse now um, on the other hand, I could see the connection with mom and grandmother. They probably come through with the same kind of energy, you know, but once they broaden that spectrum out, mm-hmm. I get a little uh, skeptical about that. So, but that does, that, that does come up a lot. In your opinion, when is the best time for someone to seek out a medium and how frequently should they do it? Um, well, I'll answer the second part first. I mean, there is a problem with people getting addicted to mediums. It, 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 um, it becomes their lifeline. Um, and I mean, you could probably you know, relate as a, as a clinician that they have a lot of symptoms of addiction. You know, they, they get um, anxiety if they, if they don't have an appointment, you know, they uh, crave the next one and so forth. So it can be an issue. It's not prevalent, but it does happen. And the, the other question is when they should seek it. There's a lot of different um, uh, opinions on that because on the one hand, you might say to yourself, okay, so you're this person, you may not even believe in an afterlife and then you physically die and you wake up and you see that you, you, you know, you're still alive. I would imagine that it takes some time to be able to, to develop the ability to communicate. You know, you probably need help where you are, you know, and so, right. so, so a period of, uh, must be a period of an adjustment of learning. So, you know, in that school of thought, you know, you would want to give it the person some time to be able to communicate. On the other hand, the history is full of accounts of people um, that communicate from day one from the other side. Uh, you know, or even like bef- like on their way out, right? Exa- like exactly. Like- you know, there are crisis apparitions that, you know, the researchers call it where um, somebody um, will come to you, a, a relative of yours, and, and, um, and you'll have a, a, a conversation with them. Um, and then you find out later on that that person had passed at the same time that you're, you saw them or had a conversation with them. Um, so I don't think there's any right or wrong, you know, and there's no set rule. I mean, I think you can go at any time. I just would caution going, um, you know, uh, very, very frequently Mm -hmm. because, you know, then you become so reliant on the medium that you eliminate the possibility of developing your own intuitive abilities. I mean, to me, you know, I asked a question once I did a survey. I said to people, would you rather get, communication with your deceased loved one through a medium or through direct or, you know, a a direct experience. And I thought um, that the answer was going to be overwhelming that people would say, I want to get the direct communication, but that wasn't the case. I think actually Mm -hmm. slightly more people said that they'd rather get it through a medium. And I understand the reasons for that. Uh, One of the reasons is that, they don't trust themselves that they're really getting it. So if they had a professional, you know, do it, they could trust the information more. Um, there's other factors too. Some people are fearful you know, right. of, of things. So, um, so I think I would still be a skeptic if I didn't have my own experiences, honestly, like that for me was the, ex- that was the piece that made me truly believe I mean, this, it was not even in my consciousness before I started having my own experiences. So I feel like I would, I mean, maybe I would have gone to some bigger events, 
frankly, I don't even know if I would have ever even been interested in it if I didn't have my own experiences. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting how people kind of come to. Yeah, I can directly relate to that because, I, you know, I like to say that, you know, when it comes to a belief in the afterlife, some, a lot of people start with, with hope. You know, they say they believe in it, but what they're really saying is, I hope there's an afterlife, you know, and, and then gradually they learn more. They might have an, an experience or two, and then they, they, that hope moves to a belief. And then um, if they have a, a, a significant personal, you know, transforming experience, that belief turns into a knowing. And when you reach that knowing stage, that inner knowledge that can be really therapeutic, you know, for, you know, for, you know, for somebody in grief. And I, I agree with you. I think that the science end of it, the piece that I like, you know, I mean, I could read study after study after study after study, and I could read book after book after book, but it's really the, 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 the third hand accounts. When you have a personal experience that has the power to flip you because it wasn't somebody else telling you, this happened, you know, directly to you. Mm -hmm. so I, I can relate to what you say that, you know, it's the personal experience that made you a, a, a knower. Right. Yeah. Not, a, I like that. Yeah. A knower. You're absolutely right. Not a believer, a knower. Right. Well, Bob, thank you so much. I think this interview is going to be so helpful for many, many people. And also your foundation is going to be really helpful. I'm certainly going to use it as a resource it will be posted here, but can you just tell us where people can find you, where they can learn about your book? Um, and yeah. I'm going to use it as a resource in my practice because I think it's, you know, a great way to kind of bridge. Well, and, and it's a tool for grieving. I mean, it, I really, that's how I see it. I appreciate that. Yeah. The, the website for the foundation is uh, foreverfamilyfoundation.org. Matter of fact, we just launched a new website three days ago. You know, uh, we had the same website for many, many years. And uh, the book is available on Amazon. It's called The Medium Explosion. And um, there's also a, a link on our own website. Uh, we, we, you know, I'm donating all the, all the profits from the book to the foundation. So we kind of use it as a fundraiser for the foundation as well. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This thank you. It's a been a pleasure. Very informative interview. Thanks. It's been a pleasure being with you. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between. <laughs>